as a society, we've made it seem as if if you don't have all those educational toys for your baby and all those Montessori-based toys, that you're not doing enough. Welcome to the Curious Neuron Podcast, parenting advice that is backed by science. My name is Cindy Hovenden, and I'm the founder and your host. I have a doctor degree in neuroscience, and I'm a mom of three. My goal is to bring you information from research that will help you parent your child. Whether you just had a baby or you have a teenager, Curious Neuron is here to answer your questions. Hi friends, welcome to another episode of the Curious Neuron podcast. My name is Cindy and I'm here today speaking with Marion. Hello everyone. It's almost summertime. This is so exciting. <laughs> almost. Summer. It is. <laughs> We we've had a pretty ugly week though this week in Montreal. It's been cold, so I think that's why you I forgot. I think that's it. It's like we've we've had some really hot weather, and now it's back down to I don't. I think it was fourteen Celsius this morning. So yeah, we have to wear little yeah. jackets. It's, it's same. Yeah, it's I know. not super warm. Autumn's coming, <laughs> but no, we are. <laughs> We are smack in the middle of summer and I thought or we thought it would be nice to speak about play for our last episode. Today is the last episode of um, our season two. Yay! We've had such a great season. I can't believe how many guests and we've we've snuck into this. What is it? 18? Yeah, we, 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 yeah. And at the end of the season, we upped it to like once a week and I, I enjoyed it. I, I, you know, it's it's been fun speaking to more people and we had, so the most popular episode was the one with Lily Nichols. Um, yeah. With, yeah, with, yeah, she, uh, the one about the nutrition during pregnancy, uh, that one's doing really, really well. I think that was interesting to, to everybody. Yeah, listening. she gave so many so, great takeaways about just simple eating, which I think everyone can relate to. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no diets, just eat real food. And she has such an approachable way <laughs> yeah. to eating. Exactly. Yeah. And then following that, it was Tina Payne Bryson, I think, and... The one during of stress dur- during pregnancy with Dr. King. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, so I, I think it, these are topics that we can definitely cover again next season and, and go deeper into the, the conversation. Absolutely. You know what I think um, we should do, too, is for people who are are new and just joining, we should have like a summary of the previous episodes. So I can help do that. We can get a, a summary yeah. sheet with a, like a PDF or something yeah. and just the, the takeaways for people who don't have to, time to go yeah. back and listen from the beginning. Because yeah. season, with season <laughs> t- season one, there was, I think we're up to 34 total, which is mm-hmm. a lot yeah, of episodes exactly. to go back. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. The, or you can also, they can, if you're listening and you'd like to catch up quickly, you can visit curiousneuron.com and click on podcast. And there we have the show notes. So there's, there are the key points of each episode, the summaries and links to the studies. So if you're interested in, in diving a little deeper into the research behind each topic, I've put some, um, some links to some research studies um, for your reading. So that's a, you know, if you have nothing to do this summer and are looking for some <laughs> reading, you can definitely do that. Once you get your kids um, playing really well independently, which Cindy is going to help us do, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're going to have time to go back to the original studies. And- there you go. <laughs> 
Yeah, you know, so before we talk about play, I'd like to thank the Tannenbaum Open Science Institute at the Neuro for sponsoring this podcast. Um, I'm really grateful that they jumped on board with us this season and will be there next season too. Yeah. Um, because, you know, like I've said in the previous episodes, this is exactly what the goal of Curious Neuron is and including the podcast. It's to get the science out to you guys, to the parents. Um, and I want to c- continue doing yeah, that. Yeah, I think it's such a great initiative. Um, as a researcher, we I'm I'm working at the Neuro and I see how we can get really involved in our research and it's super <laughs> interesting. But to be able to take the research and bring it to to people who are, are who want to use it is mm. really important. So I'm going to keep mm. looking for researchers. If anyone's listening and is a researcher, please contact us. We're we're happy mm-hmm. to to get your research out to to people with takeaways and tools. And I think it's it's really great yeah and you can contact us uh, by uh, visiting our website at curiousneuron.com or emailing us at info at curiousneuron.com and also if you're enjoying this podcast um, you could rate it on itunes and leave us a review we love them i've posted a few on the website as well if you click on curiousneuron.com and click on podcast um, and we enjoy seeing them we're going to keep um, talking about the episodes throughout the summer so that, you know, on Instagram, you can follow um, Curious Neuron at Curious underscore Neuron or the Curious Neuron podcast. Um, and, and you know, you'll catch up on the episodes that you might have missed. Right. Let's talk about play. This is my favorite topic. My no, I have a few favorite topics. I, I enjoy speaking about play because I, I want parents to know just how simple it is. Um, I like talking about tantrums (laughs) because it's the biggest challenge that we have. But then there's just tons of research around this. So that's another one. Yeah, everyone. And parenting styles. Tantrums are, everyone is talking about tantrums. (laughs) To ignore it is is, uh, not fair to anyone because it happens and there are techniques (laughs) tools. And I think you have some great uh, takeaways for how to to manage tantrums Mm because they happen. Hmm. (laughs) So let's talk about play starting at birth because, you know, as new parents, we might think you don't play with a one week old and, and, and I would argue that we do, but we don't realize because play is very simple. It's the conversation that you're having with your child. It's that back and forth or that serve and return. Um, and I'd love to hear a bit more from you. So before we talk about how to play, let's let's talk about what's happening in the brain. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me has been so key just to break it down to what's happening in the brain when a baby's born. So baby, we're born with billions of neurons and these neurons stick around until, until we're in or an adult. And what really changes is the connections that neurons make with other connections. So really early in development, we have different, our brain is, is set up. So we have the different areas that are important for, for uh, seeing and for hearing. And then you have your frontal cortex, which is important for, for planning. But really early on in development, what's what's developing first is our sensory systems. So our visual system, our, our auditory system. And so when we're thinking about a baby and, and what we want to stimulate is we want to stimulate the, the, the five senses. And so in the first couple of weeks, the, baby's, the baby can see, but this visual system is developing. And so for me, what I think about when I have a small baby or when we had our our when the kids were were just babies is getting lots of visual stimulation. Uh, that doesn't mean screens <laughs> because that was, that's, yeah. that's excessive, but just it's natural yeah. visual stimulation. So bringing your baby up close, what we wanted to do really early on is get eye contact. Eye contact is 
probably the most important thing that you want to um, develop with your with your baby, mm-hmm. because with the development of eye contact, that's how you're you're building this attachment. And we've talked about attachment mm-hmm. a lot on the Curious Neuron podcast. Yes. And attachment <laughs> is so important, but you can't attach until you you see the person. So the mm-hmm. first first weeks, months, that's what we're developing. It's is eye movement, eye eye like visual contact, and then mm-hmm. eye movements. Um, so we, the babies make all kinds of different types of eye movements. And in the beginning, they're just looking around exploring their space. So if we think about having our baby at home, they're exploring what what's in the house. They, they see all kinds of things that we're not, we don't even realize, but that is, that's it. You can check off the box. The baby is being visually stimulated. And if you want to bring yeah. it to the next level and increase the visual stimulation, we go outside. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. everything in nature, all the colors that we need to see is outside all the different movements. So one type of eye movement um, is called smooth pursuit. And that's when we mm-hmm. pursue something. And I'm not actually sure when it develops in a baby, but just getting outside, you'll see birds flying by and you'll see trains and you'll see, um, you know, people, people and cars and (laughs) everything, all of this is stimulating. And so these are experiences. I think we think when we think of the brain, we think of experiences shape uh, the developing brain and just everyday experiences are just so important. Mm -hmm. So get your kid outside and (laughs) Yes. Check off that box. But I think I think that's what should be our guide in terms of play for young babies. You know, it's it's I don't I don't know what age. I would say 12 months and less, but the guide is help them discover the world that's around them. Help them, you know, discover what is a car. Let them see a car by going outside. Even I would pretend the how the the apartment at that time was like a museum and I'd walk around with my baby, my my daughter and say like, oh, look outside this window, or what's in the fridge? And then I would open the fridge, close it, open the fr- the, the freezer. And that was my way of playing with her. It was yep. just about walking around and looking at things. And, you know, I spoke to a mom yesterday who who got really upset, and she was sad because she, she felt that she wasn't doing enough for her nine-month-old baby. And it broke my heart because I think that as a society, we've made it seem as if if you don't have we you know have you ever seen those black and white contrast cards yeah. in the books yeah you know it it's not that it's bad for your baby but you don't need it they'll still develop if you don't have that and i think as a society we've made it seem as if if you don't have all those educational toys for your baby and all those montessori based toys that you're not doing enough and and i think the goal that i want if you're a new parent and you're listening or you're expecting that you don't need to have that. If you can't afford it, don't you don't have to feel bad because you can use items from your home. You can use yourself. Like you said, we can go outside. There's just so much to do. And I hope that you realize that you are doing enough just by speaking to your child and, and being there for Right, them. absolutely. I never had those contrast cards. My kids are doing pretty yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they'll, be, they'll fine. be fine. And you know, it's important that we say that because it's it has become the norm now. People will talk about it. Do you have your contrast cards? Or we see all these companies promoting it. Yeah. And again, if you want them, that's fine. If you, you know, what? let's say even for wooden toys on in our home. When I have three kids who have birthdays that are very close. So often I don't want three different birthdays and gifts coming into my house because that's just way too many things. 
Um, so I, I, I know that the, um, the wooden toys will last longer because they're going to get smashed by my, my kids. <laughs> but, but if I, I can't afford them, I would not buy them. Um, mm-hmm. but as a gift, it's okay. So again, going back to the parents that are, if you're listening, you know, you don't have to worry about that. For sure. I think that's really in the age of social media, we see everyone with so many different cool new uh, <laughs> toys or whatever, yeah. baby Einstein, all these things. And they're really, oh, yeah. I mean, they're more for the parents probably to have novelty. The parents, it's like, oh, I can try something new, but your baby doesn't need it. You are enough for your baby, especially in the first two years of life. It's just yeah, you exactly. and your house. Yeah. Uh, I can give an example of my own my own story and how mm-hmm. I've come to better understand play is when we were when my kids were really young we did a lot of traveling so my kids are are um, four years apart so when my eldest was in kindergarten or just before kindergarten we decided that we would take um, a longer trip and we went away for about a month my son was only a th- few months old I think he was uh, four months old and we traveled to California. I had a conference, so we'd gone, we went for a conference and I was working a little bit. And then we, we took the opportunity. I was still really on mat leave and we traveled around California and then we went to Nevada and we went to the Grand Canyon and Arizona. It was so much fun. And we, but we went to Airbnbs along the way and I just saw how stimulated they were. Well, it was was very novel, but going into a new um, apartment and there were no toys. Every once in a while, Mm. we'd find an apartment that had a book or, and so we just had to be creative (laughs) and find Mm. anything. And they were, they were so happy just to be with something that was a little bit new, whether it be uh, (laughs) new pots and pans or they were exploring (laughs) the, 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 just the new, the new area. So when yeah. I came home, that's when I realized that my house was so cluttered with so much stuff. <laughs> and then it wasn't, nothing became novel. It was just, everything was out all of the time. So it took me a while. It's still, <laughs> this is still a problem for me, but I, yeah. I collect things Same and I, I, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm super interested in all the new new stuff. Um, but I found, fa- what I found is that if I, if I want to keep this stuff, I really have to put it away and then take out one thing at a time. And that's when yeah. They become interested in, in mm. a stick. They become interested in anything. They become interested in that one little piece of Lego. And I know uh, I learned from you this in, this idea of invitation to play. So you can, mm. you know, the kids go to bed. It's easier to clean up. But at the end, um, mm. if there are some toys, you just put the few toys away. And then you just leave out just random toys. And they get up and they're like, oh, wow, <laughs> this, what is this? And then they're, yes, it's, it's novel. Yes. And so their brain's like, ooh. Exactly. <laughs> and... I think if we think about it like that, just having something novel in their environment, um, they're more likely to play. Yeah, and that's a good point. I, around the age, I think it's around 10 months, a child develops a bit more of their um, focused attention. So it starts developing around that age. And novelty is the best way to keep a young baby engaged. So, you know, what I what I say is to that sort of, even if they have one or two toys in their environment, but the next day switch it to something else, that's going to keep them engaged longer. And then you're going to help that system develop because they're going to stay focused a little bit longer. And then that's going to play into independent play later on because they've developed that attention span and long enough to stay focused on something. And they'll that curiosity has been nurtured. So they'll have those skills for independent play. Um, and you know, let's move like moving into, let's say the toddler years, we spoke about the senses for babies. Now, as you're approaching 18 months, a child is starting to develop the need to 
um, to for pretend play to mimic what you're doing. So having items in your home that um, help them mimic what you're doing, it could be a sponge that you leave on their shelf with an empty spray bottle to pretend that you're washing windows or floors or cupboards. Uh, it could be a bowl with a wooden spoon from your own kitchen. So still, all, like you said, until two years old, Everything that we've been saying, it could be a Kleenex box, an empty, an empty Kleenex box, and you place a, a, um, a measuring spoon inside, you know? Yeah. We're, we can still use so much of what's in our home that does feed into, a, a, like, nurturing their, their, their development. Okay. So if someone is listening and says, okay, I'm really, I want my kids to play more because this last year we've gotten more (laughs) I don't want to say addicted but we've we've really started to rely on screens a lot and and that happens and it's totally normal this has been a year like none other and we were were in survival mode people working from home with their kids not a normal situation we didn't have our proper childcare, anything so our kids are watching more tv they've got devices but we were like okay that's enough things are going we want to get back Mm -hmm. to a new routine what do you think is the first thing parents should think about when they're um, when they want to start, you know, taking the, the devices away. Yeah. Well, I guess the word, it's funny that you said addiction because it's not necessarily, but it might have some, like somebody had emailed me and said, how do I, um, my, I think my child is addicted to the screen, which I understand because like you said, we had a rough year. Um, how do, how do I help with withdrawal symptoms? (laughs) (laughs) And that marked me because yes, we're talking about the same cycle. So in the sense that they're dependent on it now and they want more and more and more and and it's never enough. And so we have to look at it in the way that we're going to decrease it slowly. But don't forget that a child loves to play. So if the option is no TV, TV or no TV, obviously the answer is I'd rather have TV. But if the options you're offering them are, do you want to come play outside with me? Or would you like to go for a walk or a bike ride? Or would you like to play a board game versus TV? Then slowly, there might be a chance that they say, I'd rather play with you. Um, Let's go play outside. Let's go to the park. Let's go do something um, different. Let's paint. Let's color together. Giving them those opportunities. And then slowly just start diminishing the hours for the summer. This is this is the perfect time yeah. Um to be outside and to play with rocks and soil and sand and, you know, twigs, whatever you find, get like a little bucket or a bowl from the house and, and just look for items, leaves, different leaves that you find on the ground or that you can look at the tree. Are they the same? Do they look the same? Are they different? Are they the same color? All these, you know, types of play, especially for toddlers and, and preschoolers are helping them with their curiosity and again, discovering the world around them. So I, I would go about it that way, just slowly bringing it back and offering them a better option than yes or no for TV. <laughs> right. And maybe not unplugging everything. And, and uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I know yeah. the feeling is when you feel like everybody's just been on the screen too long and you just want to rip the TV out of the wall. And people yeah, like, I would say that's <laughs> yeah. not the right approach, even though it, no. it will probably, you might want, you want it yeah. to do that. We really have to take it slow. And I found a great way is to take up, if you, you can take a little weekend away leave the devices at home. Uh, we've been yeah. really enjoying camping. It's inexpensive. Um, once you get, mm. If you can get a tent, even the tents are, you can find for pretty inexpensive or borrow one. And you can find, it doesn't even have to be far from home. You can find it. We camped in our backyard. Yes, 
three weeks ago. Amazing. <laughs> I, my kids too. They love it was fun. Anywhere. You put a tent up yeah. and you get little flashlights and then that's a great place to bring in books. If, if reading isn't part of your routine, mm-hmm. trying to reading with flashlights flashlights. it's so fun it's just something a little different they don't need it doesn't have to be expensive it doesn't have to be new you probably have it in your house a headlamp is really fun set your room up as a you could camp in your room something different yes yes I had spoken to a parent last year who during the spring break to change things up in the house they all slept in the living room yeah (laughs) and they had put the cushions on the floor they had one blow-up mattress and and you don't even need the blow-up mattress but just set yourself up somewhere if you could sleep just something to change the environment and to to play it that is all play play doesn't have to be like sitting there with a toy we need to change that yeah um, that thought and th- that perception of play because that's not play. Play is just having fun. It's free play. Free play is all about letting your child guide you and, and whatever interests them to follow their lead because it's through this free play that there's the most development. And, you know, parents who have school-aged children will often ask, how do I nurture their internal motivation? Because they're, they seem to be more externally motivated. S- some kids, some of the, when I receive the question, but that internal motivation starts from the beginning. It starts when they're young. If they're able to, even a baby who's crawling and opens a cupboard in your kitchen, that's their way of playing. They're trying to figure out, how do I get into that cupboard? What's in that cupboard? Ooh, look at all these things. I'm going to dump it all on the floor <laughs> and I'm going to empty that drawer. But that is their way of playing. And I know that as frustrating as it could be as a parent, I had changed my kitchen up a little bit so that the Tupperware containers that are plastic and light and, and non-dangerous were in the drawer that my daughter was crawling to. And that taught me that I need to let observe. So if there's one thing that we can do this summer is is when you step back and you really observe your child, you're able to see they really like putting things in containers or they like putting everything in a blanket. Everything is like, and, and those are different types of play. So once we see that, we could say, well, then a toy for somebody who likes to put, let's say rocks in, in a bucket, I can offer things that are different. So I can offer an empty Kleenex box and they could put the rocks inside. I can offer a muffin tin and they could put different pebbles and rocks in there. I can offer an ice cube tray. So that's how I play in my house. It's observing them, seeing what they're interested in. If it's water, great. Then it's different ways of playing with water. I went to the dollar store last week and I bought um, uh, like um, these uh, bo- plastic bottles so that they could suck the water into it and then just spray it on the grass. I literally just bought that for $1.25 and I bought this tiny little broom. It's not a broom, no. It's um, it's to wash your dishes, but it looks like a little mop. Yeah, <laughs> it's like tiny. They, they washed their entire swing set and the stairs and the windows to the basement. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, you know... As soon as we understand how they want to play, then we're able to offer different items that we have in our house. Right. And there's so many different types of play. And this idea that we have a playroom where they go and quietly play in the playroom, I would, it, I would, that doesn't, <laughs> that doesn't exist. Yeah. No. My playroom is in the basement and it's where I store the pl- toys. And every yeah. once in a yeah. while, if they have friends over, they'll go down. But by themselves in the basement, zero. There's, they're never going. Yeah. <laughs> So what I do is I, I keep some toys in the basement and then I'll bring one up. But upstairs, we, we I don't really keep any toys on our main on our main floor. And I'll bring something up and they will, you know, they'll make a fort in the living room or they will, they'll just, we bought a trampoline, this little tiny um, oh, like exercise funny. trampoline yeah. this year. And so we, they were jumping on that just because it was so hard to 
get exercise in the middle of the winter in Canada. It's like we definitely go outside, but just to get some energy out. I have a four-year-old and (laughs) he needs to jump around. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, we should talk about that because we have three kids that are all, you know, different ages. But what does play look like in your house? Because your youngest and your oldest, there's a big age gap there. So do they play together or do they do their own thing? Um, They don't really play together sometimes um so my oldest is is she just turned 12 and definitely Mm. play changes when when you and that's my my new thing is is being creative trying to think of other ways that (laughs) she can play that's not on uh tiktok (laughs) yeah (laughs) she's explored the world of tiktok this year and i would say she's an expert (laughs) so oh wow (laughs) you know I'm, i'm always trying to think of the positive spin of of things and yeah. And for a 12 year old, for sure. I, this is a conversation mm. probably for a whole new podcast, but I will, I'm going to do as much research and try to be as creative as I can this year. 12 is a really, it's a great age. Um, but it's also challenging as, as a teen yeah. coming, becoming, there's this independence that's growing and she is becoming mm. so much more independent. So I can, I do feel like I can, I can leave her with the four-year-old and, Mm-hmm. Uh, they can, she can pl- play with them for a little bit or read books or, but they definitely annoy each other. And, <laughs> and it's, different. And you're, you're- so, yeah, I, you know, people ask me, does she babysit? And I just, he gives my four-year-old, he, he gives her a, a hard time. And, okay. <laughs> you know, he knows if we leave, it's siblings, he gives her a hard yeah. time. And, and so it's not the same, but he, yesterday she had a friend and they were playing outside and the friend was playing with, 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 Oh, with, with your Ethan. Yeah. And that was great because I could see it. It is a really nice age, 12 and four, uh, as in terms of babysitting. Hmm. But for your own, I don't know, we'll have to work on it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and your house. middle one? How old is your middle one? And she's, she's going to be eight soon. Okay. Also. And eight and four, still not. Uh... They do play together when they're outside. Okay, outside. outside. So, yeah, which goes back to outdoor play. I think even for my kids right now, I find that in the past couple of weeks when I we've been inside, there are more arguments for toys and it's just, I, maybe it's because of the whole year of being inside or maybe it's their age, two, four and six. Yeah. Um, so outdoor play, going for bike rides, going for walks, going to the park, playing soccer has been a good way for me to kind of take a breath too, because it's been overwhelming to be five people in the house for such a long time. Yeah. Um, and even when they're tired, I find that when you're outside, things change and I feel better and they feel better and then eat and then you go to bed. Oh, <laughs> well, as, it's not that fast, the going to bed part, <laughs> as you yeah. know. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, you know, I know that when we have more than one child, what the way that I've looked at it, because mine are really close in age is, is how do I play with all of them? And the best way is something through movement or pretend play. Because then I could adapt the pretend play according to their age. So the two-year-old, it might be a word, um, like uh, if we're playing bank, and I could say, can you put it inside? Put the little pretend coin, you know, put it inside, and he puts it in the box. Um, and, and that's an idea, by the way. So just to show you how we play in our home, a pretend play bank for us is an old lunchbox, a tin lunchbox that one of my kids have, and that's the bank. And then I bought poker chips at the dollar store, and that's our money. Yeah. And then we, uh, we, uh, my kids, uh, my mother in law gave us like this really old purse from her prom. Yeah. That's our, that's our wallet. Yeah. <laughs> 
and and we put our coins inside and then I gave them um, a notepad and a pen and they have like a little pretend flower from the dollar store because they set up their desk we have an old keyboard that we kept and we, they set up their little desk for as the the teller and we'll go I'll show up at the bank and say hi I may have two dollars so that'll teach my two-year-old social skills he'll give me however he you know he could give me five or ten or whatever he gives me but that's not the point for him it's just about understanding may I have and I put my hand out and he'll give me something and then with my four-year-old it's learning how to you know he's counting he just turned four so it's either counting them or or understanding you know how to write a letter on his notepad and then with my six-year-old it's math so we do it we use it for math so the same play idea can help kids learning at every age. Yeah, I think that, and that's how I play with that's them. That's really great. And that reminds me also of um what what something we do too with with money and wallets. <laughs> they love money <laughs> and yeah. buying things. Um yeah. we have a little wallet from my father. My father passed away a few years ago and before my son was born. And so we never met him and I use this wallet to talk about oh. my father with him. It's like, this is, this is grandpa D's and this is his money. He used to travel a lot. So we have this money from different countries. So oh, we take the money, yeah. we put it in the wallet and, and he talks about my dad as if he, he knows him. He's like, Oh yeah, this is grandpa He's D's wallet. Dad. And he takes it around and he, and he, I he love these, that. these, yeah, these, these coins and we can use it for different things. So it's a great, that's, it's a great way to bring a beautiful in way to, um, yeah. family or. <laughs> yeah. I love that. History. By the way, my I, I think coins remind me of both my grandfathers for some reason. One one grandfather collected coins, and my other grandfather, after he passed away, we were cleaning out the apartment. And when I opened up his lazy boy, there was a ton of chain. There was so much money that had fallen through, yeah. and then I just kept it all. And I was like, "Thanks, <laughs> so cute." Yeah, and we do that when we go um, to my yeah. my in laws. They go, <laughs> my kids get to there, and they they go through the pockets for coins. <laughs> <laughs> there you go <laughs> I think I've I've said everything that I wanted to say in the sense that uh, for for your sort of little homework for the summer learn to step back you know we don't have to always be fully involved with our child however there's also a, there's no right formula when it's a baby playing is being with them playing is speaking to them when they're sleeping take that time to either do little things you want to do around the home or rest. And when they're awake for that short amount of time, try to, you know, get outside or or have that, that back and forth conversation with them. Maybe it sounds ridiculous because you feel that they're not understanding you, you know, but it's not. They're listening to oh, you when you're activating their brain. For sure. It's the, probably the, the two most important things is, is making yeah. eye contact with them and speaking to them as much as you can. Mm narrate everything well <laughs> let them have their own their independent time by themselves too you don't have to be talking to them all of the time yeah no yeah exactly you take true. a moment to be with your your baby talk to them bring them up to the window look outside see a bird they're taking all that in you're stimulating their their brain cells they're making new connections and and if you have the opportunity to, to speak a different language to them too that's really great or or Yes. With grandparents, let your, if your grandparents mm -hmm. speak a different language or a babysitter, get them <laughs> speaking, let, get them listening to different languages because that also is it's setting the foundation so that it's easier if they want to learn it later in life. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we briefly touched on screens, but um, when, if, if you're following the American Association of Pediatrics, I know that they say no screen time. I think it's 18 months and younger, but FaceTime and Zoom and Skype and all that, they don't fit within that screen time. Um, so, you know, 
if if you want your children to get to know, if you're not able to see family yet and you want your new baby to get to know family members, you don't have to worry about that kind of screen time. The the screen time that they speak of is is more of the TV shows and with the because it's fast. It's fast, you know. Even when you think of when you you know speaking to a baby, we we slow down our our speech, but it doesn't do that on TV and in movies. So that's why they want to like make sure that we don't do too much of it. But then on the other hand, it's okay if your baby happens to, <laughs> to see TV or if you need 20 minutes because you're a new parent and you haven't had time to go to the bathroom or take a shower, whatever it is, you don't have to worry about that moment. But it's just the, the daily the daily dose of, of TV. That's what they warn against. Right. And, and I think that the, this they will change the, the recommendations. Um, I know for one thing, if I were a new parent, I would avoid giving an iPad or or a phone to a child, especially like push that as late as you can watch TV at a, at a far distance, because what happens is when you have a phone, all your, your eyes are, are converged. So your eyes are looking much closer to, um, and your field of view is decreased. And so when you're sitting back on a couch, you can imagine your eyes are, are looking straight ahead. And so it's actually a really big um, difference. So if you can avoid giving it's much, I would say, it's better to be looking at a TV than to be looking at a, at a device that's very close. Try to keep the devices out of the bedroom. Uh, I think that's a really good habit to, to either um, get out of your, if it's in your routine, try to phase it mm-hmm. out. Again, maybe something different with flashlights. Get the, get the devices out of the room because uh, long-term, I can tell you for my 12-year-old, that's something I'm really trying to, if anything, she can have devices all day. <laughs> At a certain time, they're off, they're out of her room, because that's a habit I don't want to happen when she's 12, 13, 14, 18, waking up in the middle of the night, checking your phone, because that's what's going to interrupt your circadian rhythms. That's what's going to interrupt your sleep. And that's what we really want to conserve. We want to have really dark house between the the hours of 9 p.m. or whenever your kids are going to bed until they wake up. Darkness. (laughs) That's No devices, no screens, no blue light, because blue light gets a lot of bad rap during the day. Great. No problem. Get outside, get all your blue light. But once the, once it's nighttime, turn off the devices and don't have, don't just don't have them around so that you're tempted, especially if you're a parent. And if you're a new parent (laughs) and you're breastfeeding and then, oh, I know, try to keep your phones off because Uh, I'm not doing you any favors. This it's, it's waking you up, even though I know you get woken up by your child time, but yeah, uh, I don't know if there are studies, but try to keep the blue light away. Got it at night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Got it. We we can have a whole episode on that. I think next season. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Okay. I think we will. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We can talk more about, about what happens when, when, you know, when your eyes are too close and and why you want getting all kinds of different eye movements. And when you're in the house, your eyes are kind of constricted to your, to what's in the house. But that's the other thing is once you get outside, Mm -hmm. you, you're, you're making all kinds of different types of eye movements that you wouldn't have the opportunity to Mm -hmm. do if you're, if you're in. Exactly. They recommend at least three hours outside a day and uh, definitely try. Winter. Winter, I, I, I struggle with that, but summertime, it's just let's live outside. Yes. <laughs> just stay outside, kids. 
I know. Okay, um, I just wanted to briefly mention, I did open up the doors to something called the Parent Play Camp last week. I've closed those doors. However, if you visit curiousneuron.com and click on the um, banner that's at the top that says the doors are open for the Parent Play Camp, if this is something you wanted to join this summer, let me know. Send me an email at info at curiousneuron.com. I will be reopening the doors in two months. What I'm testing out is I've created this um, program um, that goes through everything that we spoke about. So we look at the developmental milestones at different stages, and then we look at how do you support that through play. And the, my philosophy for play is simplicity. What's in your house? How can you nurture that without having to go buy something new? And in addition to that, a big aspect of play that we didn't talk about today, that could be another episode, is scaffolding. What is scaffolding? It, it, it's basically when you're offering different different guidance and different cues and support verbally to bring your child to the next level. So if they're able, let's take a puzzle, for example, um, you know, you might first show them how to do it. That's the first level of understanding how to make a puzzle. Then you might step back and put the pieces close to each other. Then you might at, say, you know, look for colors that are similar or see that's an apple. This is the same red as the apple and then have them do it on their own. So those are different levels of scaffolding. There's tons of research on that, that they literally give you the the, the scripts to say. So I've put that in my parent play camp because that's a really big part of play and learning. And, and um, so you get a couple, you get three weeks of activities, you get two full webinars and, and support from me. Um, so if this is something that interests you, you can email me at info at curiousneuron.com or um, you can wait for the next time I'll announce it on on uh, Instagram and our newsletter. And that's all I had to say today. That's great. <laughs> Let's get outside. <laughs> yes, exactly. Go outside now. <laughs> Have a wonderful summer and uh, we will be coming back uh, the first week of September. Uh, and again, you could leave a rating and a review on iTunes and you could join us on Instagram at Curious underscore Neuron or at Curious Neuron Podcast. Have a nice summer and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.